Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning as we take a look at John chapter number 3 and take a look at the passage. And as you'll see on the screen, the series title is We Are All Missionaries. Obviously, this ties into our missions conference, which is two weeks, actually less than two weeks from today. We'll start meeting a week from this Friday, and we do have a number of missionaries that will be coming. We have the Patrick family. They will be going to Nigeria. We have the Kim family that will be going to the Philippines, and we have Brother Perez who will be going to Thailand. And I'm looking forward to having them here and uh, to fellowshipping with them and to asking them questions about, you know, how they knew that God called them to the mission field that they were a part of and and how God worked in their hearts and why uh, they are going to the field that they are going to. And uh, so that'll be very exciting for me. And uh, we'll actually have one of our missionaries that we're already supporting also meet with us, Brother Thongdi, Kumali Thongdi. He is in Southeast Asia and uh, he is uh, here in the States. And so He'll be with us as well, and I'm looking forward to that. And so we'll have four missionaries that will be here throughout the mission conference, and uh, that'll be great and encouraging and uh, very exciting. And I think there's a lot of different mentalities when it comes to missionaries and uh, different people in terms of their perspective and how they uh, perceive missionaries. And uh, obviously a more cynical one would be, well, the missionary's job is to do what? It's to reach the uttermost part of the world, amen? That's their job. Their job is to reach the gospel out unto the uttermost part of the world. And a cynical person might view it as, well, that's your responsibility to reach the uttermost part of the world and uh, hope that that goes well for you, right? But I, I don't think anybody here in our church would be like that. I think that they wouldn't just say, well, that's your job, missionaries, to go out and reach the world. I think that pretty much everybody here, we'd have a part behind some of these men. I think we'd have a heart to try to support them and be there for them and say, you know what? Uh, God has called you to Nigeria. God has called you to the Philippines. God has called you to different parts of the world. And that's wonderful. And we want to help you. Uh, we want to support you. And, and God has blessed us financially to a certain level. And, and we want to use some of those finances for the glory of God. And uh, one of the ways in which we can do it is to support our missionaries. And so we'd be glad to support you. And we have missionaries come in, and uh, we get to hear their presentation and how God is working through them. And as we see how God is working through them, we, you know, we get a sense of, you know what, God is really calling this man and this family, and God is really working through them. And, and uh, boy, this would be a great family to get behind and support them in the ministry and uh, be a part of that missions process. That's a wonderful thing. And that's a good thing, amen? That's good for us as a church. Of course it is. But I don't know how many of you would actually think this way, but the missionaries that we have coming in will not be the only missionaries that are here during the services. Because I think God makes it very clear that every believer is a missionary. Every believer is a missionary. 
every one of you that has trusted in Christ as your Savior should not have that viewpoint of, well, those of you that are missionaries and you're called to missions, you're the missionaries and we'll just support you. I think as we look into this passage and as we look into other passages, God makes it very clear that every believer is a missionary. Amen? So it's not like, hey, you're the missionaries, uh, the Patrick family and the Kim family and Brother Perez. You're the missionaries, and we're just going to support you as a church and as believers. We ought to have the mindset of you're missionaries and we're missionaries. Hey, let's reach the world together. Amen? And that ought to be our mindset because every believer has a call of missions on their life because they are saved. Acts chapter number 8, verse number 1, gives us an interesting, I think, insight into the mindset of the very early believers. Verse number 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. This is Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll know that Stephen was chosen to help in the ministry of the church there at Jerusalem. And then he was preaching. People didn't like what he was preaching, and they killed him. It was the first, uh, the, the martyr that was there. And so we see a martyr that was there in Stephen. And, and so Saul was part of that group. And he was kind of pushing forward in his zeal and his passion to continue persecuting. And so you see that church at Jerusalem starting to scatter people running away, fleeing for their lives, really. And so we see that they're scattered outside of Jerusalem into Judea and into Samaria. All the apostles, though, staying still in Jerusalem. Verse number 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. I mean, Saul was really cutthroat about this. I mean, he didn't care who you were. If you named the name of Christ, he was going to get you, and he was looking to find you and, and take you and put you into prison. So you can understand why everybody's running away, amen? All right. If, if there were a group here that suddenly started persecuting Christians and was hailing uh, every Christian they could find into jail, I mean, many of us would scatter, just to be honest. And that's what the early church was doing, for good reason. Verse number four, then, gives us kind of a, not a contradiction, but something that we might not expect from a situation like this. What are these people doing when they're moving from Jerusalem to Judea? and to Samaria and to some other parts. Are they moving because they found a new job and they, they got a better job opportunity? Are they moving away because there's some family that's there and they just wanted to be closer to family? No, that's not why they're moving. Why are they moving? They're moving because they're scared for their lives. They're scared that they're going to die because Paul's going to find them and take them to jail. And, and so they run. Verse number four, though, says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Hey, if you were running for your life because you're a Christian, wouldn't it make sense that if you move somewhere else, you try to keep it on the down low? Amen? Right? You'd, you'd probably try to be a little bit quiet. You might not want to tell everybody, hey, I'm a Christian, and I, I'm from Jerusalem, and I ran away because they're trying to kill me, but hey, I'm a Christian. And that's probably not the best strategy, right? 
And yet, you see, the believers, as they left Jerusalem, they couldn't keep it to themselves, could they? They may not be able to stay in Jerusalem, but nobody was going to keep them from preaching the word, amen? And I think this passage is important because God makes it very clear that these people that were leaving for Judea and Samaria and really to the other parts of the world, they were not the apostles. The apostles were still in Jerusalem. Who are these people? It's just believers that God saved. They were members of the church there at Jerusalem, and they were growing, but because of the threat of persecution, they said, you know what, this is too dangerous for us. I don't want to die. Hey, let's move. Let's go. There's some other places that we can go. And as they did so, what did they do? They preached the word of God. They were telling other people about the gospel. And so this series entitled We Are All Missionaries is around this idea that if you are saved, you're a missionary. Amen? Right? The Patrick family goes to Nigeria. The Kim family is going to the Philippines. You know, Brother Thongby is going to Southeast Asia. We have many other missionaries that are going to other places. Right? For us, though, where are we missionaries to? Well, I live in Gardena. I work in Gardena. I go to church in Gardena. So guess what? I'm a missionary in Gardena. To the people, I mean, that sounds a little bit strange. We might not think of it that way, but that's in reality what it is, amen? Because the gospel didn't start here in America. It came from Jerusalem, amen? And so from there, they're trying to reach to the uttermost part of the earth, of which we are part of that. So we are all missionaries. We're all missionaries. There's a big difference between the attitude of, well, they're the missionaries and we're going to support them, and the attitude of a real missionary or those that really take a hold of that call of missions. Because if, if they're missionaries and they have that calling, you know, you would expect certain attitudes out of our missionary, amen? Right? You would want them to be proactive about it, right? Right? What does a missionary do? They reach out to people so that they could hear the gospel and, Lord willing, that they would be saved, right? That's what we want our missionaries to do, amen? Amen? That's what we want our missionaries to do, right? You don't want your missionary to just hang out in the house and wait for somebody to knock on the door and say, sirs, what must I do to be saved, right? I'll praise the Lord for any instances like that, but that's never happened to me. Nor do I think has it happened to you, nor probably has it happened to very many of our missionaries. You would want them to go out into the highways and byways, into the hedges, and, and to find people. And to say, hey, anybody that will come, anybody that will trust in Christ, you can come and you can be saved. That's what you would want from your missionaries, amen? Right? I think you can all sense where I'm going with this, right? Which is if... That's the attitude of a missionary, and we would want our missionaries to have that attitude. If we are missionaries, we ought also to have a similar attitude, amen? It changes our perspective, doesn't it? It's not just, well, you're on the front lines, and we're going to support you. We're all on the front lines. We all got to get out there, and we all need to uh, spread the gospel. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So... If you want to ask a simple, maybe singular question for us as believers as we lead up into missions, and I, I hope that you're praying about how maybe God would have you to, 
you know, maybe you've never supported missionaries before on a consistent monthly basis, and maybe God will work on your heart to support missions in that kind of a way. I hope that you're praying for that. And you might say, you know what, I'm looking at, you know, all of the, the ledgers, and I'm looking at all of my finances. I just don't know how it's going to happen, but if God moves in your heart, God will supply, amen? I hope that you're praying in that way. Maybe you want to step out more. There have been times, uh, me and my wife, as we've prayed about it, where, where we thought, you know what, this year we're, we're not able to step out. And there are other years where it's like, you know what, it doesn't totally make sense, but we, I feel like we need to commit more. And so we've, we've had both of those moments. But I hope that we can all ask ourselves the questions, not just how can I support missionaries that are out there, church planners here in America or missionaries in foreign countries, but also ask ourselves the question, make it personal, am I living like a missionary? All right, now I know that you would expect somebody like Brother Jimmy or Brother Samuel, those that are like full-time missionaries, of course they're going to live a little bit differently from us, amen? You know, they're in full-time ministry, of course, and you know, we would not want them to go out there and just start working a factory job or whatever. We would say, hey, you know, that's not your, that's, we're supporting you so you don't have to do that so that you could do full-time missions. But I want us to ask us the question, if we are saved, are we missionaries? And if we are missionaries, are we living like it? Are we living like it? I want to see three aspects to uh, this passage here, Jesus and Nicodemus, that I think will help us to understand what does it mean to be a missionary? What do missionaries do? How do they act? How do they behave? And we're going to take a look at some principles here. Number one, I see the mentality of a missionary. John chapter 3, verse number 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that the Pharisees was a religious group there, quite powerful. Uh, not only that, but Nicodemus was not just a member of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was, he was a, a ruler, not just a leader, but he had authority there among the Jewish people. And so here is this man, Nicodemus, he comes. And verse number two says, the same came to Jesus by night. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why Nicodemus met Jesus at night, right? Because God didn't just say that he met Nicodemus. He says that he met Nicodemus at night. There's a lot of thoughts. Uh, some have thought that, well, he's a Pharisee, he's a ruler of the Jews, which uh, people took to mean that he's part of this kind of ruling group, this council called the Sanhedrin, and, and obviously as a, a member of that very influential, important, powerful body, he would not want to kind of, you know, make it seem odd, like why are you meeting with this individual? Clearly, uh, Jesus said some things about the Pharisees, right? Not some nice things, Amen. And uh, not necessarily some things that uh, are politically correct, but still true. And they needed to hear it. And, and Jesus knew some of those things. And, and we're not yet at the point where he had really kind of come out publicly and started preaching against what the Pharisees were doing. And yet, you know, there's, there's still a little, you're trying to be cautious, right, as a leader, as a ruler. And uh, some had thought that maybe Nicodemus was a little bit worried about what the other members would think about 
him if he met with Jesus, right? If you met somebody in public, you know, some people are like, oh, why, why are you meeting with that guy? Why are you meeting with him? You know, what's going on over there? And maybe cast some doubt over there. So maybe he's just trying to be a little bit cautious, right? That, that might be one reason why. Some have thought that maybe he met with Jesus at night because Jesus was very popular, was he not? I mean, he was healing people, he was doing miracles, he was doing all sorts of things, and, and uh, some have thought that and speculated that, well, maybe he met with him at night because it was difficult to meet during the daytime. He's busy, he's popular, he's doing a lot of works and miracles and, and teaching, so maybe he met with him at night because there's no other time, you know? He says, he, he reaches out and he says, hey Jesus, I'd like to meet with you, and, and Jesus pulls out his calendar, as the all-knowing God, and he knows exactly where everything's going to line up and say, you know what, there's no time that I can meet with you during the day. He says, what about at night? You know, maybe that was one of the reasons and uh, as you read this passage, you might think about some of those things. If you read somebody writing about this passage, uh, these are some of the things that come up. And so there's some speculation as to why he met him at night. But there is one thing that is pretty clear, which is that God did not include the reason why he met him at night. Right? He didn't write it there. God did not include, well, he met him at night because of these reasons. They're not included in the Bible, right? Which means this. It's not important to what God is trying to communicate to us. Amen? Because if it was important, he would have included it, right? Right? That why he came at night is not important. The only thing that is important is that he came and he did come at night. So if the question, why did Nicodemus meet Jesus at night, is not important, well, what other question could we ask but this? Not so much why did Nicodemus meet Jesus at night, but let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus meet Nicodemus at night? Right? We know that Nicodemus has some questions, right, as we look into the passage. He wants to know some things. He wants to learn some things. He wants to see what Jesus has to say and who Jesus is and, and why he's doing these things and what he can learn. There are some reasons why Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. But let me ask you the question, why did Jesus meet Nicodemus at night? He didn't have to, did he? He could have said, you know what, I'm pretty busy as it is. I just want to get some sleep. You know, come back at a more convenient time. He could have said some, a lot of different things, but you know what? Jesus was willing to commit to Nicodemus and meet him even if it was at night, which tells me this, that Jesus was willing to meet whether it was convenient or not. If somebody wanted to get to know the Savior, he was willing to meet him. Amen? It didn't have to come at a convenient time. It didn't have to come on a convenient day. If somebody wanted to meet, he was willing to meet. He was willing to meet him late into the night when everybody else is sleeping. And maybe he would rather also be sleeping. But he was willing to meet him at an inconvenient time. At an unconventional time. You know, we as believers, we as human beings... You know, we have a schedule, 
right? We have a schedule on Sunday. We have a schedule throughout the work week. Our kids are going to school. You got to get to whatever place by such and such a time in order to make it to work on time. You got to wake up at a certain time and, and do all of these things. We have schedules, right? You know what your schedule is generally on a week-to-week basis, on a, on a monthly basis. You know what your schedule is. And, and I'm a big proponent of planning. I like planning. I don't like to not know what's coming up ahead. And I like to know what's coming up ahead, when is it going to happen, how is it going to happen, and all of these kinds of things. I'm a big fan of, of planning. But we as believers need to be careful that we don't let, you know, this is what I want to do and when I want to do it to be the overriding factor and exclude somebody from hearing the gospel. You know, there's been a lot of times where I've been meeting somebody, you know, just in passing. I'm, I'm really not there to meet anybody. I'm there in order to get to another place. And I just happen to meet somebody. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I got to make it to here by this time in order to get there, in order so that I can go home to be with my family, or whatever the case might be. But if we're missionaries, we got to be willing to meet those that need the gospel. Even if it's inconvenient. Even if it's not when we would like to meet them. Even when maybe I've got some other things that are on my mind, and when I would like to do it, a missionary... And we would expect our missionaries to do that, to meet with anybody that would want to hear the gospel, amen? And to reach out to anybody that would want to hear the gospel. And, and I see this mentality of Jesus Christ, that like he was willing to do the inconvenient things in order to reach people with the gospel. Hey, we go out every week on a Saturday morning. Every week at, at 10 o'clock we meet and... We have a short challenge, and then we go out in order to invite people to our church. Why do we do that? In order to try to extend ourselves as a church, show people that there is a church that preaches the gospel so that they could be saved, so that they could come and hear a church where we preach the word of God and so that they can hear the truth about themselves, about their eternity, about their lives. But soul winning is not just from 10 a.m. to 12 a.m. on a Saturday. Hey, soul winning might happen when you're going out grocery shopping. Hey, soul winning might happen when you just pull in from work and you've had a long day and your neighbor just happens to be standing outside in his yard. Hey, soul winning might be when, you know, you got your kid and you're holding your kid and, and uh, you know, they're taking a nap and you're pulling them inside and you just happen to see somebody that's right there. You know, soul winning doesn't always happen at a convenient time, but if we're going to be missionaries, we've got to have that mentality. Amen? We've got to have the mentality of a missionary. Secondly, I see the mannerism of a missionary. Because there's something interesting that Jesus says, or that Nicodemus says about Jesus. Verse number two says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
right? So why did Nicodemus want to meet with Jesus? It's because he saw something in Jesus. He saw the works that he was doing, and he knew that God was there. He knew that God was working. He knew that there was something uh, about this man, Jesus, that he had a connection with God, and, and he wanted to meet with him, and he wanted to talk with him and have a conversation. And, and I see that it was the mannerism of Jesus that drew Nicodemus to him. There was, first of all, a credential of signs. You see this, that, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest. We know a lot about the words of Jesus Christ, about his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. We know about the parables. We know about the words that he spoke. But, but Nicodemus had not yet actually heard any of those things. Those are all in the future. And yet he was still compelled to come because of the miracles. There was a sign there that indicated to Nicodemus, this man is from God. There was a sign there. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, we use this as part of the, this is the theme for our missions conference every single year. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There was a power there with the first believers. There was a sign with the believers. If you read on into Acts chapter number 2, what do you see? That sign was the miracle of tongues. There was an indicator that God was working through them. Now, we as a church... We don't believe in tongues, all right? We don't believe in tongues, amen? All right? Okay. Some of you may be shocked by that, but we don't believe that, okay? All right? You see it pretty clearly when it happened, why it happened. I won't get into that, but we don't believe in tongues. We don't believe in, you know, the, the miracles and different things like that because Jesus gave some pretty clear instruction as to the sign that we as believers ought to have, at least part of it. John chapter 13, verse number 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. All right, so how is the world going to know that we as God's people are really the people of God? How is the world going to know that? How is your neighbor going to know that you are a child of God? How is your coworker going to know that you are a child of God? Is it because you speak in tongues? Is it because you're healing people? Is it because you're doing miraculous things, walking on water? Has anybody here done any of those things? I don't think so. So how shall all men know that we are the disciples of God, of Jesus Christ? If you have love one to another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Hey, how do you know that you're saved? 
All right? If I were to ask, you know, how many of you say that, yeah, I'm 100% sure that I'm saved, you know, I'm sure most, if not every one of us, would raise our hand. I ask you, how do you know that you know that you're saved? They say, well, I went back to this time, and you, you give the story about how this is what happened, and I prayed a prayer, and that's when I got saved. Well, that's great. I have that too. I know exactly when and where and who I was with and what day and roughly what time even I got saved. When I was born again. That's good. And that can be a help to some people. But John never wrote, well, this is when I got saved. And I remember this and this and this and this. And that's how I know that I'm saved. You know how John knew that he was saved? You know how he knew? Because there was fruit. Amen? He knew that he was saved because there was spiritual fruit. He said, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. You know, John loved the believers. He loved them. He loved them to death. He loved them. He wanted to do whatever he could for them, serving them and sacrificing for them and teaching them and guiding them and leading them. He said, I know that I pass from death unto life because I love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know, when the outside world is looking for the light of God, you know where they'll see it? In the love that believers have for one another. The love that that people of different cultures will have for one another. People of different generations will have for one another. Even people who have different languages will have for one another. There was a clear sign that Nicodemus could see and say, you know what, there's some, this man came from God. There was also, secondly, a clear sending. And he says in verse number two, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art our teacher come from God. Boy, that's a very important phrase. Not just a teacher, but that he was a teacher that came from God. Wow. He knew that he came from God. Of course he did. And he was God, amen? Jesus is God. He's the son of God. And sometimes I think that we as believers can sometimes feel a little bit inadequate in terms of our Christian living, in terms of, I don't have enough education, right? Education is a big thing. Education is important in general. And as believers, we ought to grow in knowledge. Of course, that's important. But sometimes I think that some believers get the idea that, you know what, I don't have enough training, therefore I cannot do this thing. I cannot do whatever it is that missionaries do. But when you look at the Bible, you actually see a lot of individuals that were not highly educated. Elisha was a farmer. When Elijah found him, he was farming. Right? Farmers are not exactly known for having gone to Harvard for farming. All right? All right? How many farmers go to Harvard, they learn farming, and then they go back to the field and they farm, right? That's not really what farmers do. Peter, James, and John, they were fishermen. Matthew, he was a tax collector. David was a shepherd. It's interesting because really the most important thing for us to know is whether we come from God. 
John chapter 1, verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Have we been sent by God? Have we been sent by God? Yes, we have. Amen? We as believers, we've been sent by God into the world. But also I want to see thirdly that there was a co-laboring with the sovereign. The very end of verse number 2 says, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Oh, this is so important. Because if you're going to reach anybody, if I'm going to reach anybody, God has to be with me. Amen? If you're going to reach anybody, God has to be with you. Because Nicodemus said it clearly, we know that nobody can do these things unless God is with him. And it's clear, nobody's going to get saved unless God is working. Unless the Holy Spirit is working, unless the presence of God is there. It's interesting, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 23, speaking about the birth of Jesus. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is, what? God with us. God with us. Hey, are you saved today? Are you saved today? Then God is with you. The Holy Spirit is living with inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, there is a power that is there that will enable you to reach people with the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 1, makes it clear that we got to do this laboring with God. We then, as workers, together with him, with God, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. I'm glad I don't have to do this alone. And you don't have to do this alone either. In fact, if you did it alone, nothing would happen. Nobody's getting saved if I do this by myself. If we as a church do it by ourselves, nobody's getting saved. But if God is with us, God's going to work. He is our co-laborer together. Every missionary begins first with spending time with the Savior. Every missionary first needs to go to the Savior. And we as believers, we need to spend time with God to make sure that God is with us. Why? Because we're missionaries. Because you're a missionary. And God has sent you to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to your family, to the people that you know and you run across. So we need to have God with us, amen? Now, of course, we know that God is with us because we're saved, but is God with you? Is God working there with me? And is God working with you? We need that. As missionaries, we need to have that if we're going to see anybody to be saved, if we're going to be effective as missionaries. Thirdly, what I see then is the message of a missionary. The message of a missionary. And I, I alluded to this earlier, but the reason that we're all missionaries is, well, everybody here, if we're all saved, 
those of you that are saved, every one of you that has your sins to be forgiven, every one of you that, that has God as your heavenly Father, we are all missionaries because we all have the message of a missionary. Amen? If you got saved, you received the message of the missionary. Amen? The message of the gospel. The message that Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again for our sins so that we could have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message of a missionary. Amen? And holding the message of a missionary makes you a missionary. Makes you a missionary because you can take that very same message that you received when you got saved and give it to somebody else. And say, I want you to have this message. I want you to hear this message. This message is a spiritual message. Verse number three continues after uh, uh, Nicodemus uh, makes his remarks that we mentioned earlier. And Jesus' response is, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual message. You know, there's a lot of things that we can talk about with our friends. We can talk about sports, all right? Those of you that are sports fans, right? The football season just started, right? When football season starts, right? Saturdays and Sundays are very different, you know? They go home and they turn on the TV and they sit on the couch and they watch football and they talk about football Monday morning. The games are all over. You know, they talk about football. Oh, what happened on Monday? And then, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they talk about what's going to happen the next Sunday. You know, that's what they talk about. You can talk about sports, and, and we can talk about, you know, politics, and, and we can talk about the economy, and we can talk about all of these things. But if we're missionaries, we need to bring out that spiritual message. Amen? That message about, hey, there's more to life than just the physical. Hey, there's more to life than just getting as much money as you can. There's more to life than just experiencing the pleasures of this life. There is something spiritual that is there that everybody needs. There is a salvation that everybody needs. They need to be born again. They need to have their sins to be forgiven because it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this a judgment. So we need to bring out this spiritual message. We also need to bring out this supernatural message because Jesus said except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God now naturally Nicodemus his response is well Nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born when he is old I mean for those of you that have grown up in church this response is quite comical right I mean the question doesn't even make sense right how can a man be born when he is old of course he can't can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, how ridiculous. What are you even talking about, Nicodemus? Jesus answers, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You know, Nicodemus is thinking on a totally rational level. Amen? He's thinking very rationally. If you're thinking about just physical possibilities, these are the kinds of questions that you would ask. But, but Jesus takes him in a different direction because salvation is not something that is physically possible. It requires supernatural power. Supernatural power from God. And thirdly, what I see is this message. It is a saving message. John chapter 3, verse 14. 
here is Jesus. He's continuing to speak to Nicodemus. And in verse number 14, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Right? So for those of you that are unfamiliar with, what is Jesus talking about? Moses lifts up a serpent. He lifts up a snake in the desert. I mean, what is that even referring to? Numbers chapter 21, verse number 5. I want us to take a look at this passage because Jesus references this incident. Verse number 5 says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpent from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent bit any man, or had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Here is the story. The children of Israel, they're out in the desert, they're only, they only have manna, and they're complaining about it. Right? We don't have any bread. We don't have any water. All we have is this manna. We're tired of it. Right? Parents, you ever hear your children complain about food? We had this yesterday. Can we have something new today? We had pizza last week. Can we have something different this week? And, you know, you as a parent, you're doing your best to provide, you know, for your children. So you can imagine how the Lord would feel at this moment. I am miraculously providing food for you every single day. Manna falls out of heaven, and you just need to collect it every morning. You don't even need to work for it. You don't need to plow the ground or water. You don't need to butcher anything. You don't need to do anything. It's just there for you. And the people are complaining about it. They're speaking against God, and they realize that they sin. It's a sin to speak against God. And that's what they were doing, and they sinned, and there were consequences to sin. God sent fiery serpents. They started biting people, and they were dying. Apparently, poisonous snakes were sent by God, and people were dying because of the sin. And the people said, we have sinned. At least they recognized that, amen? They recognized that they sinned, and they went to Moses, and they said, we sinned. We, we did wrong. Help us. Do something. Pray for us. Take away the serpents. And Moses prayed for the people. And what God did was he told Moses, make a serpent, a fake serpent. He made a brass serpent. Put it on a pole and lift it up. You know what's interesting is that the children of Israel asked Moses to pray to God that he would take away the serpents from us. What's interesting is God didn't answer that request, did he? This is not the point of the message, but sin has consequences. And just because you receive the, the forgiveness of the sin doesn't mean that the consequences go away. So we got to be very careful when we sin. Because praise the Lord, we can always get forgiveness of sins, but consequences are consequences, amen? All right? If you get in a car wreck, 
you know, because you made a mistake and uh, you lose a limb or something, I mean, you might ask God for forgiveness and you pray to God, and, but he's not going to miraculously just, boop, you know, give you back your leg again, right? There are consequences to making foolish decisions and doing things and all of those kinds of things. But you know what, what God told Moses was, make a serpent, put it up on a pole, anybody who's bitten, you look to the serpent, you know, we sing the song, look and live. Look and live. And what Jesus is saying here is just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and anybody who looked to the serpent, believing in God, would be healed. Here is Jesus saying, if you've sinned, look to me. I'm going to be lifted up. Look to Jesus and you will live. Look to Jesus and you can have eternal life. Verse number 15 of John 3, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's a very clear lesson here that Jesus is trying to communicate with Nicodemus and is trying to communicate with us. First of all, we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There are consequences for sin, for the wages of sin is death. Is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And God says in the book of Revelations that all those that appeared before him without having trusted in Christ as their, as their Savior, he will open up the books and judge them according to their works. How many of us are perfect? None of us. We all fall short. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the message that God gave to us. Amen? And if you trust in Christ as your Savior, you're saved today because of that message. Amen? You know, we all have that message today, don't we? We all have that message, which makes us missionaries. Are you a missionary? I think it's clear that we are. If you're saved, you are. But do you have the mentality of a missionary? You know, I need to reach out to, to see somebody to be saved. Do you have the mannerism of a missionary? Do you live like a missionary? Is it clear that you come from God? That you have a, a calling from God? That you have a message from God? We are all missionaries. Are we living?